as a result of the illnesses and the setbacks that I've I've endured, you know, I've been able to connect with so many people. You know, people that uh, have really struggled or have been discouraged for some reason or another, and I just share my story, and then you know, it kind of gives them a little a little bit of hope. And if you think about that, are you willing to give up a little bit of what you're capable of to help or inspire other people? And my answer is yes. Courage doesn't mean that you're not afraid. You know, courage doesn't mean that you don't have fear. Courage means that you do something in spite of. The only way to get courage is to do the things that you're afraid of. And you know, and that's uncomfortable. And it's okay to be uncomfortable. And that's what I tell them. That's Bonnie Gagnon. This week on the My Back 40 podcast. Hey Steve, it's Paulo here. I'm out bikepacking with some new buddies. We've got Jordan and Jamie. How's it going, Steve? And uh, we're out near Big Wind Lake, um, just north of that in uh, Muskoka. Um, we were just thinking about you and hoping that you had an awesome uh, race at the Lost Elephant. And uh, we look forward to hearing all about it. Um, and in fact, I met Jamie. Uh, through Instagram, he heard my podcast that I had with you recently, and uh, we all connected to, to do a little adventure in Northern Ontario. So it's pretty awesome. Loving the bikepacking community, and uh, you know, appreciate you making uh, these communities happen. All right. So we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Paulo, Jordan, and Jamie, thanks so much for that voice intro. And I, I certainly hope you had a great time out there bikepacking. It's always a good time, especially when there's buddies around. And uh, man, I so appreciate you reaching out. Um, really touches me that you guys were thinking about me. And uh, I think about all you guys all the time too. And it's my pleasure to do this, to hopefully connect the community. I'm so glad that you, you guys hooked up for a ride. That's awesome. Uh, if you want to send me a voice intro, just whip out your device, record me something. I don't care where you are sitting on the couch. It could be bike packing. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Just whip it out and record something and send it to my back 40 podcast at gmail.com and I'll get it on the show. So yeah, the lost elephant, man, uh, that was a wicked, wicked track. Um, so a couple personal challenges were for me were, well, I guess the, the one main personal challenge was just to do it on a single speed bike. And uh, it went really well. You know, I ride single speed on trail all the time, but I've never really bike packed on, uh, well, I went on one kind of shakedown trip and that's kind of what turned my, uh, turned my attention to the possibility that, you know, it's not that bad, actually. It's not too bad. And um, so that was a personal challenge for me. So I was going to do a podcast to kind of talk about my experience, but um, Bonnie Gagnon and Randy Neal um, kind of, I want to thank them for the shout out they did. They're doing these videos uh, and they are the admins for the um, Great Divide mountain bike route, trail conditions, Q&A, gear, and stories. So they're doing these videos, and um, I think I'm going to be interviewed on one of these. So uh, I'm going to hold off. Um, but I did want to just, maybe I'll just tell you a couple things. Um, one, it was an amazing, an amazing trip, and I want to thank a bunch of people. Not like I wanted or anything, but, you know, there are people in my life that I see and I deal with all the time that that make things easy, not easy, but they help. And the, the person I want to thank the most is Ruth Zender at Invermere Physiotherapy. Dude, I took an entire month off the bike. I was so 
fucking broken. You guys have no clue how broken I was. I'm a fit and active guy and I stay pretty active chasing my kids around or riding bikes in the woods, but I don't take care of my body very well. And what I mean by that is mechanically stretching, rolling, um, those in particular. And, uh, when I went to see Ruth and, uh, she got me on the table and she was, you know, testing my mobility, she was like, Oh, was that it? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, man, that's it. That's how stiff I am. I'm so stiff. And I was having some really huge issues with uh, my right IT band. I was having pain and discomfort basically from my hip to my ankle. Um, I was limping. Um, you know, I was just like limping my ass around town back and forth to work. And uh, I was in a lot of pain a lot. There were times I have a 20 minute walk and I walk by choice. I could ride my bike. But the reasons I walk are, you know, one, it takes longer. So I enjoy that time. I listen to a book or a podcast or, or whatever. But also it's just moving my body in a different plane than, than being on a bike all the time. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd walk home from work, a 20-minute walk, and sometimes I'd have to stop on a bench and, like, stretch and roll out and try to get my IT band to, to loosen up so I, so I didn't experience so much pain. It fucking sucked, man. So I said, you know what? No more riding. Um, for like, I guess it was three weeks, almost four weeks before that, before that event, I went to physio and man, she fixed me up good. Like she gave me some exercises to do, um, some, uh, what's it called? The electro stimulation kind of thing. Had some cupping done. I think the thing that really blew my mind was the dry needling. So she's got this needle. It's like 60 millimeters long. It's like an acupuncture needle, except she doesn't just poke it through the, through the skin. She buries that, she buries that fucking thing into you. And uh, she was finding uh, stiff muscles and seized muscles that were just deep inside my body. And uh, she would do that. And it's not super comfortable, (laughs) to be honest. And um, I was just on the table, just sweating, fight or flight, man, just sweating, just trying to keep still while she, she just plunged these needles into my, into my musculature. But, um, Without that physiotherapy, man, I don't think I would have been able to perform like I did. And and I was surprised. Like I'd get up in the morning after, you know, a not so great sleep and I would just spring to my feet and I felt good. And I'd sit up and do some stretching and stretch the bands out. I did bring a cork ball with me, which was one of the things I thought was, was pretty valuable. So if I was kind of taking a break, I could take the ball and I could kind of roll my legs out. But uh, I wanted to thank Invermere Physiotherapy for their help in, in just tuning me up for that event. So thank you so much. also want to thank Lakeside Bikes here in Invermere, a new bike shop in town. Helped me out with some, with some equipment and a really, really cool dude. Uh, Matt McDonald is the manager there. And I would encourage all of you who are visiting the Invermere, air, Invermere area to just, you know, go up into town. They're just past AG Foods, the uh, grocery store on the left-hand side. Uh, I think Rainbow Restoration is their, uh, is their direct neighbor. But check them out. Small shop, um, very small shop. But what they uh, lack in square footage, they gain in um, customer service. Matt and his crew there are awesome, and they're there to help. So check them out. Also, I'd like to thank my place of work, <laughs> North Star Hardware. It's Arona here in Invermere. And uh, I think, you know, getting away on these little trips, I mean, this was a really short trip. It's only a couple days. Uh, you know, I probably could have gone back to work 
immediately um, based on the physio I had and the way, way I took care of my body. I probably could have went back to work, but I was just so fucking sleepy. So I, I basically took the week off, spent some time with my family. And I want to thank North Star Hardware for, for being flexible and supporting me um, to doing these events. And, uh, you know, before I left, they, you know, they gave me a card and they, they gave me a little, uh, you know, um, what do you call them? Those, um, a gift card for AG food. So basically I could go up there and I could buy my food and, um, you know, I, I really appreciate it. So, uh, Tony and Ellie Bukovnik and, um, Mandy Cox, my boss, all the people who supported me there. I just wanted to thank you guys for just being an, an awesome place to work. And I love it. So I guess one quick little story too I'll share is, um, so 50 kilometers in, it's fucking hot already and I'm pushing my bike up a hill and I noticed the reach on my rear brake was getting bigger and bigger and tighter and stiffer and uh, I was like, man, what's going on with that? So I stopped to kind of dick around with it, thought I could adjust the barrel adjuster to like uh, that adjusts the reach on the uh, SRAM guide brakes. I couldn't even turn that thing. And it was kind of like, <clears throat> it was sucked in. I couldn't really get a hold of it to move it, to twist it. And then, so I gave the, uh, the lever just a bit of a, you know, firmer squeeze just to kind of release it from the bind that that screw was in. And then that adjuster screw sucked in to the lever body. And I was like, fuck it sucked in. And then not only did that happen, but the brakes were locked on. So I was pushing up a hill on my single speed. It was already probably, you know, high twenties, like reaching 30 degrees, if not more. And my brakes were locked on in the back. So I was like, fuck man, what am I going to do? So I was able to actually uh, push the lever away from the handlebar and it would release a bit. So it, it released. I'm like, okay. So I pushed, got to a flat spot at the top and I was kind of dealing with it for a bit. And then um, talking with another rider, my buddy, Rob Peters from Invermere, he said, oh, you know, I, I said, I think it may be under vacuum. And he's like, oh, just crack the bleeders. I'm like, good idea. Great idea. So, you know, I cracked the bleeder at the top on the master, master cylinder and nothing came out. In fact, it was dry in there. And then uh, I cracked the one down at the caliper, a little bit of fluid pissed out. And uh, then they didn't work at all. So I had, I had no brake, no back brake. And um, people who are not familiar with bikes are kind of like, oh my God, you rode everything with the front brake. Well, that's the brake you want. That's where like 75 to 80, 80% of your braking power comes from the front end. The, the issue is when things get spicy and technical and loose and rough, uh, generally, when you have two brakes, you modulate between the rear front and rear brake. You're constantly, like you're not just on off with brakes. You're constantly modulating them. And uh, without having a back brake to kind of control speed while modulating the front through spicy stuff, uh, I really had to pay attention. Um, eventually, I ended up taking the, uh, the lever completely off the bar because it was uh, interfering with uh, where I put my hands when I, I have a Jones bar. And when I climb and when I stand and climb, I, I, I choke right up to the loop at the front. And because of the way the lever was stuck, it was in the way. So I just took the thing off. It didn't work anyway. But for the rest of that ride, almost another like 450 kilometers through the mountains, I had a front brake. And so I had to walk quite a bit of stuff, which was no, no big deal. Although I do have uh, bruised toenails to uh, account for that. And um, I made it. But the whole time in the back of my mind was like, when I'm coming down these mountains and that brake, if that brake fails, I'm fucked. And I was strategizing in my head. Okay, so if the brake fails, I'm going to drop to the 
drop to the top tube, straddle the top tube, get my feet on the ground, and then just basically surf that bike and try to surf it to a stop. That was in my head the whole time. And it was horrible. So I don't know, just a couple stories about my lost elephant experience. I had a really good time. It's like what, 520 and like almost uh, 8,900 meters of, uh, of elevation gain. And I did it in uh, two days, nine and a half hours. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Uh, I was uh, the second guy across the line. Uh, the first guy, Justin, I don't know how to pronounce your last name, Hatinga. He, uh, he was like four or five hours ahead of me and, uh, he had gears. So I was really happy with the way the single speed went on that, on that route. So look forward to that. I'm going to, if this, if this, uh, video interview comes out, I'll definitely, um, post it. I'm really excited. It's weird. I'm a bit of a dirt bag, so I'm gonna have to clean up. I'm probably gonna have to brush my hair, <laughs> maybe shave my face if it's going to be on video so I can represent myself. But um, I'm looking forward to talking to Bonnie and Randy, and uh, I look forward to sharing that with you. So I've talked a lot, and uh, right now I'd like to just talk a little bit about Cycling 101, who's a great supporter of mine, and Rebound Cycle, who I'm, who I'm an ambassador for. So I wanted to thank you guys for all the help you've given me and support you've given me on the podcast. And uh, I know Cycling 101 is still running their 101 VIP 20 promo code where you can save 20% off a bike fit or a consultation. Don't forget about that. And also, if you want to go to knackbar.com and you want to save 20% off your purchase, you can head over, head on over to Knackbar, do some shopping, use the promo code Ryan at checkout, and you're going to save 20% off your purchase. And if you spend over 50 bucks, you're going to get free shipping. So check it out. So today on the podcast, I bring you Bonnie Gagnon. But wanted to talk to Bonnie for a long time. I think ever since I started doing the bikepacking thing and researching and whatnot, she came up. And I think what what uh, attracted me to her account was just that all the cycling and training she's doing, and the inspirational messages that that she had on her on her Facebook account. I think the Great Divide mountain bike route, the groups that are surrounding that, are just so supportive and so encouraging. And, uh, I think that's the one thing I love about doing the podcast and connecting these communities and, uh, it's got, everything is just so positive. Um, and you know, it's such an open group. And if you have a question or, uh, a worry or a concern about attempting these tracks or any bikepacking race, it doesn't have to be the great divide mountain bike route. You can reach out to these people and they're, they're going to answer your questions. Everybody is welcome and everybody's encouraged to get out there and ride bikes. And uh, the people who, who kind of participate in these events know how meaningful they can be. And uh, Bonnie is one of those people who basically spreads the love of the meaning of cycling and bikepacking. And uh, I really can't wait to bring this conversation to you. So without further delay, I bring you Bonnie Gagnon. <laughs> Back to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. The move to, um, um, sorry, what did you say you might move to again? Not Denver, Boulder, Colorado. Boulder, Colorado. So, your move went well. It did. It was so nice because I had people on both ends to help me. You know, which was great, yeah. especially considering the coronavirus. You know, so I had two friends on one end and two friends on this end, plus my son. So that was great, man. Yeah. You need all the help. And did you basically moved by yourself? Like just loaded up a truck and drove out here or out there, yeah. I should say. Right. Yeah. My son came with me awesome. uh, because, you know, he was uh, wanting to spend time with me before he joined the army national guard. So he's actually in basic training right now. Wow. 
bikes and yeah so we just hiked as much as we could got a couple of uh 14ers in which was fantastic and created some lifelong memories together man it's uh my kids aren't to the age yet where well we always have we always have meaningful you know conversations and whatnot but i'm looking forward to to really being able to talk to my kids you know at, at, at a deeper level um, my boy is getting there. Like I can talk to him pretty openly. Like he's seven. He he gets stuff. So it's, you know, like my daughter's five and that's a totally different level, you know, yes. of communication. And, and I'm really looking forward to, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we can actually be our kids friends. I don't know what your opinion, you have older children than I do. Right. I don't know if we can actually be our, our kids, best friends or friends, yeah. but yeah. I really want to keep, um, it's really important to me that we have a really open relationship because yes. they're going to want to, when they're going to get older and they're going to want to, you know, spread their wings and do stuff. And I don't want to keep them. I, I want them to explore their lives and learn mm -hmm. who they are. And, uh, that's probably the hardest part is letting yeah. that go. How old are your kids? Yeah. So they are 32, oh. 24, 22, and 18. Holy so, cow. <laughs> oh, man, I'm just getting started. I'm like, almost, I'm 50 next year, and I've got two kids under eight. And it's just like, man, oh, man. It's crazy. I, I was talking to a friend today. I uh, um, Ryan Draper, Cycling 101, is coaching me. So I got myself a whoop strap, and uh, I'm kind of tapering for a race I'm doing this weekend, like uh, the Lost Elephant Ultra, which is like a 520... 9,000 meter climbing, oh, uh, rip around kind of the, the Rocky mountain trench here. And, um, so I'm trying to be light. I'm trying to like, you know, relax. And, uh, yesterday was super chill day, but out of 21, I still had like almost 16 strain. I'm not supposed <laughs> to be straining myself. And, and I reached out right. to my team member. I'm like, dude, like it's supposed to be a, like a relaxing lead up to the race. And uh, it's called parenting. It's like bouncing on the trampoline, swimming in the lake. And it's just, it's a, it's crazy how, how busy it is with young kids. And I'm just totally. trying to, I'm just trying to keep up. So Bonnie Gagnon, what's your story? So where did you grow up? I actually, well, I grew up in Southern California. Yeah. So I was lucky to, you know, to be able to go to uh, Newport Beach with my family and friends and really enjoy, you know, just the ocean and all the beauty it has to offer. I actually miss it a lot, yeah. the ocean. Yeah, so nice. And then um, when did you move away from SoCal? Yeah, so I've actually lived in a few different states. Mm. I lived in uh, Washington State for five years. Then I moved to, well, actually, I uh, lived in um, Oklahoma after that for five years. And then I went to Minnesota for like 20, 20 years or so. And while I was in Minnesota, I moved to South Korea for a year oh, and just traveled the world quite a bit. So lots of good times. What what led to you traveling around? Were you a, an army person as well? <laughs> no. So when I was in South Korea, I was teaching economics, micro and macro, oh, to cool. uh, their college, their, their students that wanted to come to the U.S. and enter college. Economics was part of that. So I was helping uh, helping teach them economics, and then I also taught some English on the side, like. I had a couple of adult students. One was a doctor, and I would just read the medical journals to him and help him pronounce things and understand what the words meant. So it was lots of fun. That's exciting. And then, <clears throat> when did your um, when did your athletic background start? Now, did you kind of begin as like were you like a triathlete or tell me about that? My athletic background started like yesterday. <laughs> no. no, 
come on. Like it. <laughs> but it's a roller coaster. Um, so let's see here. In well, you know, in the early '90s, I was a bodybuilder. You know, so okay. I just was like really intrigued as a teenager with um, the ability to sculpt your body. So I got into that. Uh, and then I took a few years off and then right around 2000, I, I did this fitness challenge. It was like, uh, EAS, you know, it was like this worldwide challenge and I actually won and I, they paid me $25,000. Oh, wow. Sent me to a- yeah. Right. This is really cool. Awesome. So, but, uh, then I ended up, uh, let's see here. I got back from Korea. I think I was doing triathlon around 2008 and I just did uh sprint triathlons. I think I did one Olympic distance and then I was like, you know, I wonder what it'd be like to do an Ironman. So I just <laughs> jumped into an Ironman in 2010 and, and completed that. Awesome. Um, yeah. But uh, that's also when I became, quote, terminally ill. You know, I was in the ICU and had just the worst um, problem with this bacteria that got into my lungs and it just literally started liquefying my insides and I wasn't expected to live. So... Um, that kind of knocked me into the game for a while. Yeah, that's a bit of a left turn from the whole athletic thing. Do, uh, do you want to talk about that? Like, what do, do you know what caused that? Or is it just yeah. something that's, yeah, tell me. It's, it's actually still a mystery, you know. Really? It's a non-communicable bacteria. So I had to have got it from touching an object or breathing something in. You know, so there's just been some speculation, you know, whether it was while I took a trip to Sri Lanka, I had uh, swam in this pool. I didn't know that actually it was um, an untreated pool. It was just this disgusting water. And when I jumped in, I gasped and I choked on the water. So all that nastiness went into my lungs. So oh, we don't know if it was no. that, you know, or, you know, it was like at the time when the blue, the bird flu was going around. So they thought at first maybe I had that. But um, yeah, we don't know. It could have been you know, there was a couple of bottles, like really old bottles that um, somebody had given me because they were doing construction downtown Minneapolis and they had uncovered this um, kind of like a hospital from a long time ago. Oh, interesting. So these bottles, yeah, these bottles were super old, really cool antiques. And I washed them in my sink in really hot water and I was breathing that air in. And then the next day I started coughing really oh. bad and I got sicker and sicker. So it's like one of those two probably. And you had no idea what was inside those bottles? Well, one of them was uh, like the original, um, not not Listerine, because that's like the gargle thing, but the antiseptic. What's like antiseptic? Lysol? Lysol or? Like Lysol or yeah. something. But, uh, and it still had like the cork in it, you know, because yeah. it was sealed that way. There was no screw tops back then. And it was full, so, like a full bottle of? Absolutely, wow, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, but um, unfortunately, you know, like I said, I ended up... Um, in the ICU and just really, really sick. So I lost like 18 sections of my intestines. Whoa. I lost my appendix. I had a full hysterectomy. It was just, just really destructive. You know, this, um, this bacteria is translated black death because the death rate was so high. And I, I was the first case that they had seen in Minnesota in 200 years. That's what they told me. So. Wow. That's crazy. I, I just remember. And what, what year did that start? What year did that put you down? Um, 2010. I started getting sick in 2009. So they don't know if they kind of think I might've had it like a little bit going on, but they kept giving me all these antibiotics thinking I had pneumonia. Then they thought I had cancer. You know, it was just a lot of misdiagnosis going on there. I mean, you know, no shock, right? Something they hadn't seen in forever. 
And how long were you down with that? It took me about a year before I could really start doing anything. Yeah. I had over 5,000 stitches in my abdomen, so I was doing it for a long time, you know. But um, in 2012, I started training for the Leadville 100, yeah. and I ended up racing in 2012. So that Wow, that's cool. I got to write that down. Um, <clears throat> that's awesome. Um, well, it's not awesome, actually. That's horrifying. Um, and you're laughing about it. I was saying to, I was talking to Mike Dion there a couple nights ago and I had said that, yeah, I noticed you guys were hanging out because, you know, she moved out to, to the area and, <clears throat> and I had commented, uh, uh, Mike was just like, yeah, she's an inspira- inspiring lady. And, you know, I said, every time I see a picture of her, she's smiling, like she's always smiling. And here you are laughing about black death and getting over that. <laughs> and, uh, that's, what what accounts for that positive mindset that you have you know i think it like i think some people are just really blessed to have to have been born with an innate nature of gratitude you know so i i don't take any credit for it right i feel like i've been blessed with that mm. sort of an attitude you know when i was young i remember my mom and i were going into a grocery store and she looked down at me and i was probably you know, eight or nine. And she goes, why are you smiling? You smile all the time. And I was like, I don't know. Why aren't you smiling? You know, but, um, you know, one of the things I, that I actually thought about, you know, when I was so sick is, you know, a lot of times we, we can, we can easily ask when things go wrong, why me, mm. you know, right? Like why me? But for me, I've just never felt that way. Cause it's kind of like, well, why, why not me? Mm. Right. I mean, it could happen to anybody. So, I don't know. I just, I'm just so grateful, you know, for the chance to, to be alive, you know, now I'm a grandma as of, you know, almost five months ago. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, and, and, uh, gosh, I got to say that as a result of the illnesses and the setbacks that I've, I've endured, you know, I've been able to connect with so many people, you know, people that, uh, have really struggled or have been discouraged for some reason or another. And I just share my story and then, you know, it kind of gives them a little, a little bit of hope. And if you think about that, are you willing to give up a little bit of what you're capable of to help or inspire other people? And my answer is yes. Inspiring, right? So it's just, you know, a lot of people couldn't, um, man, I was in the hospital for maybe four or five days with, with getting my appendix out. And I thought it was the most horrible thing in the world. Right. And, (laughs) and I know that people are out there, um, struggling with a lot more heavy, heavy things. Right. And it's, it's funny. It's so hard when you're inside that box to, to open it up and look on the outside and actually see that everyone, everyone in some, at some level, regardless of what you see on, on social media, because you're yeah. all, you're only ever seeing the positive stuff. Like no one's gonna put, um, well, some people do, but pictures of them like weeping in agony because you know they they lost someone, or weeping because they've been stuck in the hospital for or can't do the thing that they love for over a year because they've got this this bacteria that's ripping their guts out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I guess that saying, you know, it could be worse. Right. I mean, in your case, it could be, I mean, you're still around, so it could have been a lot worse. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They didn't think I was going to live Steve, you know? So here I am. Thank God. Wow. That's crazy. So how'd Leadville go? (laughs) 
man, it was amazing. You know, I mean, I, it was my first uh, exposure to Colorado. And when I was, uh, when I got here, this is like 2012, I was like, are you kidding me? You get, people get to live in this. This is like so glorious, right? It's mountains and just the aroma, you know, just the sagebrush and the pine trees. I was just like overwhelmed. It was so gorgeous. So, but um, yeah, I, I couldn't breathe at all. <laughs> you know, I was just a couple, oh, yeah. years out of, right? a couple years out of, uh, out of uh, the hospital. And, you know, the Lemire's disease did permanent lung damage. It caused um, a severe asthma and, and different things. So I had some, I actually had a lot of trouble trying to acclimate and I still struggle with acclimation and I still struggle with, um, you know, just my lungs, but um, I was so excited to do the race, you know, and unfortunately, yeah, I actually, I missed the cutoff outbound at Twin Lakes. And what happened was uh, I got up St. Kevin's or St. Kevin, and there was a rider who was just frantic on the side of the trail and he had actually flatted and he had flatted twice. He had fixed it, gone on, and he just looked, he was all kitted out. He looked super fast and you could tell this guy should be in the front. And he, oh man, this guy was like, you know, you know, begging riders as we were riding by, you know, does anybody have a pump and a tube? And, you know, and I did. So I, I did stop and I, and I did help this guy and me and another rider. And, um, it took us about, it took us probably about 10 to 12 minutes. And, um, he was so grateful. I mean, he just took off, right. Which was awesome. And, uh, I got to Twin Lakes and I missed the cutoff by about 14 minutes. Like, so, oh, no. so if this dude listens to this thing, what are you racing without a pump and a tube? You need a pump and a tube, dude. Well, I got to go ultra light and I got to go fast. <laughs> you know, and what was really sad was, you know, of course I was really bummed and I go, well, you know, how do I get back to Leadville? Cause I'd never been here before. And they go, well, just ride the course backwards. So, well, I got, I didn't know the course, you know, so I got off course and I rode all over Twin Lakes and then I got back on the course. And when I got back on the course, I was about, you know, 100, 200 people back from the lead pack and people were passing me going, wow, you're so oh. <laughs> still racing. But, um, but I ended up uh, riding almost 100 miles that day just trying to find my way back. To <laughs> so, yeah, I was determined to come back before I even, you know, got off my bike that day. I'm like, I'm coming back. I'm going to I'm going to finish this race. So. I've watched a few videos of it and it looks intense. Like the bike packing races tend to be pretty chill, you know, cause yeah. you know, especially, you know, unless you're at the pointy end of the stick, you know, you're, 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 you're pace, you're, you're dosing your effort and stuff. And I, I've been watching yeah. like some of the, the series of YouTube videos that Ted King is putting out. And it's yeah. like, what's so compelling about it. The, the gravel stuff is just, it's like watching the tour de France on gravel. Right. And these, right. these athletes are just pinning it on these right. little skinny bikes. And I'm like, man, I just went from a three inch plus tire to like a two, three, five, which is still, you know, they're pretty wide and it's like, Ooh, it's so sketchy. And they're, they're riding like, dodgy, yeah, they're riding like 40 mil tires or probably less, you know, I don't have a gravel right. bike, but that's yeah. bananas. How, did you go back? I did. I actually awesome. went back, um, I went back three more times and the last time I was there was right after the tour divided 2016, you know, and I, and I didn't intend to race it, but I had already signed up. So I showed up and like literally the night before the race, like at midnight, I was like, well, you know what? I'll just jump in it and just go as far as I can. I'm just going to take it easy. Well, you know, I ended up at on a 10:30, you know, finish pace, which was, you know, by far my best. But, um, 
gosh, I had a pulmonary edema. Oh, no. And so, right, and it was such a drag too. Uh, I was coming back inbound through Twin Lakes and I knew it. I'm like, man, I don't feel good. So um, at the Carter Summit, I actually scratched like right, you know, that's super close to the finish line. It's like mile 94 or something. And I pulled off and I said, you know, something's wrong with me. I can hear liquid in mm. my lungs. And then the, the paramedic or, or, you know, the the guys who help out, the medical staff, they came over and the head guy goes, you know what? I don't even need to test you. I can hear the, the mm. liquid in your lungs. He's like, he, they put me on a machine and they they personally drove me back to my car and told me, get down to let to uh, Denver as fast as you can. I mean, it's really bad. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I could have gotten my buckle that year, you know, but it's not worth it. Your health is more important. Right? Yeah, for sure. And, um, so. and yeah, you were already... I mean, you went into that kind of compromised anyway. Yeah. Right. So totally. it's, you know, you don't want to push it too hard and, uh, live to ride another day. Right. That's the idea. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, I think the reason, um, I reached out to you one, I saw, uh, you know, the picture of you and Mike, and I wanted to talk to Mike about the, the, uh, 10 year anniversary stuff. And I'm hoping to put that out tonight. And, uh, I wanted to talk to you about your experience on the tour divide. And I, I plan, my plan is, uh, I turn 50 next year and I want to ride the tour divide next year. So nice. I, I live, I live in Invermere and, and so Banff is only like 120 K away. I could probably just ride there as a warm up maybe, and then start the race <laughs> or the, the ride. I'm going to call it a ride. Cause I don't, I don't know. Um, it's a big ride, man. It's a big thing to really push hard on, I think for, yeah. for three weeks. But, um, so when did you discover the true divide and, and what kind of prompted you to want to do that? Yeah. So uh, by the way, I'm super stoked and excited to see you in Banff this next year. Are you going to do so it next good. year too? That's, that's the plan. Oh, I just right got on. approval. Yeah. To, uh, for my boss today, like literally right before this call, he's like, you're in still. I'm nice. like, okay, good. <laughs> awesome. So, um, but yeah, like, um, I think it was 2014. I was, um, in Leadville, actually. And, you know, I was thinking about how glorious this was to ride through the forest, like, you know, just to experience this, you know, for a hundred miles. And I thought, you know, what if I could experience this for days? Like, what, if, you know, what if, what's, what's the longest, you know, mountain bike race in the world? And so I, I just Googled it right there in Leadville and the tour divide came up and I was like, tour divide. And I'm like, these people carry stuff on their bikes. Like, I was like, totally enamored by this you know like i saw that they went from you know somewhere in canada to the mexico border so i was determined um after leadville to go back and uh and check it out and so a couple weeks later i got back and i did check it out and i was like oh uh. my gosh this is amazing you know to be able to to be in that much of beauty and just totally submerge yourself i'm like what's better than that so um I signed up for the race a couple of weeks later, never heard of bikepacking before. And I raced it, uh, six and a half months later, six months. That's, awesome. yeah. That's not a lot of time to get ready for something like that. I don't think. No, especially when you know zero. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you already had the athletic prowess, right? I have it in my heart. Oh. I don't have it in my lungs. <laughs> Come no, on. Oh, in your lungs. <laughs> Yeah. But you know, you were, you did, you know, you're, you did the Leadville. So it's not like, um, riding a bike was foreign to you, like say right. not, not rainbow. Right. Who was just completely yeah. like getting her feet wet for the first time, basically. But, um, 
that must have been amazing. So what was the what was the prep like for that six months? Did you did you do any training or are you just kind of keeping it kind of just doing you like you usually do and then flew to Banff and <laughs> raced? Or did you did you up your uh, effort for those six months? Well, what I did was um, I put it out on social media. You know what? I'm looking at this race. And then uh, two guys that I know, uh, my friend Ron and then this uh, my other friend Mark, uh, they had both, you know, at least started the Tour Divide. So I had the opportunity to, you know, talk to Ron a bunch on the phone. And I actually met with Mark in person. And then he showed me these maps. And I'm like, holy smokes. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you know, he went through those really quick with me. And then they both like, you know, I kind of picked their brain like, what? what did you carry and how did you carry that? And will my, you know, Trek Superfly be okay? Or do I need another bike? Like, what does this even mean? You know? So, um, my goal was to try to do, um, like a, an overnighter, like a bike packing overnighter, like, like a, you know, hopefully a century, you know, on Saturday to century on Sunday, just to at least get one practice ride in, mm. which I did do. I did one, overnighter before the tour divide so yeah and i tried to like up my training which at that time i think i was doing like only like 100 miles a week you know so but um as seems to be tradition you know i ended up blowing out my knees like a month before the oh, race no. <laughs> and there begins my journey for the tour divide you know but uh but yeah and that's the year that i had i don't know if you know this deep but i ended up because of my knees, I ended up racing on kitty cranks, you know, crank arms that literally came off a seven-year-old bicycle. I remember something about that. I remember something about yeah, that. Yeah, just these tiny little things. I had them at 90, you know, like usually I ride like 175. Wow, yeah, those are like, short. Right? Yeah. So it was like, you know, the spinning and spinning super fast, you know. But um, it was the only way I could really do it, you know, and tolerate the amount of knee pain I was having because I had torn my meniscus in both my knees. I didn't know it at the time. Oh, man. So yeah, so I just uh, I raced on those on those kitty cranks. You finished? I did finish. It took me a long time. Like I, it took me uh, thirty four days, I think it was. Whatever. You know, but um, but you know, hey, I finished, right? <laughs> That's so interesting. What what did it feel like to go to such a short crank? Like what? You know, they uh, there's there's some back and forth about crank length, right? Like everyone's riding 175s, and those are probably yeah. too long for for like most people. It seems. I mean, I still yeah. run 175s. I just I just figured there'd be a more leverage, um, right? With a 175. Yeah. What what was it like climbing up over these passes with these little cranks? Yeah, and you just nailed it. I felt like I had no leverage. Right. Like I standing on standing was almost useless, right? Because you're just like. <laughs> You know those guys that ride like what are those bikes with a huge front wheel and a small rear wheel and they're just spinning super oh, fast? You know? I don't know if they call them velocipedes or, but I know what you mean, yeah, like the old school. Yeah, yeah, it felt like that. So like oh, uh, I lost my power on those climbs, you know. And I climbing is actually my favorite thing to do. So here I was, just ultra challenged uh, on the climb and just so much loss of power, you know. But again, you know, like, I was just so grateful to be out there, you know. And it was mm. just so beautiful every uh state you know of course the color you know i mean canada this beautiful like forest and water was just like turquoise and you know so i really just focused on um my surroundings you know and try to take all that focus off of feeling frustrated that i was so much more slower you know yeah um and that was in 2016 correct yes sir okay. 2016. 2016 and um you finished it in 34 days um yeah. How did it feel to, to run that last stretch when you knew you were there and you have that, 
you know, whatever that is, a bit of a pavement stretch to the end, right? Yeah, like 65 miles. Yeah, it was a uh, hundred. Oh, that's not little. Miles. That's pretty far, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like a, it felt like 200 miles. Like it felt forever. But um, so yeah, it was super hot, you know. And uh, you know, I was wondering how I would feel. You know, I was thinking maybe I was going to cry or have a lot of emotion. But for some reason, in 16, um, I just felt this um, peaceful sense of satisfaction, like. I did that, you know, and it was just so peaceful. I, I just rode up and I was just happy and just really just, um, yeah, just at peace with it. It was great. I think something that <clears throat> I'm not worried, but I'm wondering, uh, you know, people put a lot of effort into studying the track and finding water sources yeah. and, um, a lot of effort. Like for instance, you know, I've got the map up for the race I'm doing Saturday and I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to get on it and I'm just going to keep moving. I'm just going to keep moving. <laughs> I'm not really concerned. Uh, I did the same one last year, but it was a different, it was a different route and uh, there's less climbing this year, but uh, I was, I've kind of been beating myself up. It's like, man, I haven't really looked at the route that much. It's, it's, you know, I'm familiar. It's, it's in my home, you know, it's in my home mountains. Like I'm familiar with a lot of the areas how much uh, time did you, and I'm, I'm asking these questions. I'm kind of investigating a little bit because you know, you did oh. it, you did it as a rookie, right? Yeah. And uh, so how much time and effort did you put into actually like studying the route and say finding water and resupply? Like, did you have like a really comprehensive uh, cue sheet available to you? Like, or did you just go and live on the line and just see what happens? Yeah. Well, during the, the previous year, you know, the year leading up to the tour divide or that last that six months that I was like intended to do it. I was actually taking care of my niece and my nephew and my son. So I was really busy as a single mom. Um, and, you know, I'm not much of a map person. And, you know, I I didn't really I didn't hardly study at all, to be quite honest, like pretty much zero. <laughs> <It was> just, <laughs> I knew that if I just follow that E-Trex, whatever that was that was going to get me to where I needed to be. And so I put my faith in that, you know, when I met with Mark and talked to Ron, you know, they mentioned, they mentioned some water stops, you know, but man, you know, having no frame of reference, you know, mm. that's, that's hard to really, uh, you know, to, to, um, you know, just immediately apply in your mind, you just kind of have to get out there and experience and like, Oh, that's what that meant. Or, okay. That's where that supply is. I'm, I'm terrible at maps. Horrible. <laughs> me too. I, I can't believe like watching, ride the divide last night yeah and uh they're whipping out paper maps and they're looking at it and it's like <laughs> we have it so easy right it's like here's your track follow the line you know yeah. enjoy it yeah. bring a backup gps that makes me feel a lot better because i you know i i don't i think if you over prepare you can get more nervous you know like right. like and that was all my mo like even in in school it's like exams were coming up. I didn't study. I never studied. It's like, if I don't know it by now, I don't know it, you know? Right. So it's, it's, that's, that's always, that's kind of my frame of frame of mind, I think. Yeah. So it makes me feel better because I don't want to spend the next like 11 months, you know, trying to just study and absorb and, you know, I'll definitely look at it obviously, but I'm so pumped to, um, that's what I said on part of my intro for Mike Dion's podcast was like, you know, it's not just about racing and and, and bikes and gear it's about the experiences and the the, the people and the relationships that you're going to make on the route whether with with riders or with with check stops and um tell tell me like or uh resupplies rather tell tell me um 
um, a, a story that really sticks in your mind about uh, an interaction you had with people when you're out there on the route? Gosh, man. You know, this, well, this one, there was no uh, direct interaction. It was indirect, you know, and actually this was just last year. I mean, I was in New Mexico and riding along. It was just blazing hot and, you know, I'm running low on water. And there was a trail angel who had left like this big, kind of like a, like a big trough sort of, and they had covered it, you know, and had assigned tour dividers and GDMBRs for everybody. And inside were all these gallons of water uh, and snacks. I remember seeing you that know? picture mm-hmm. online. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. And they had this book and in the book was kind of a story. It was about their son and how he had served in the military and he was a father and a great son and, and he had passed away. So part of um, their way of giving back what, you know, in his honor was to set out, you know, these refreshments for anybody on the, on the route, you know, and man, that, that just meant so much to me. I was like, how cool is that? You know, so I wrote, wrote them like a little letter and thanked them and all that. But, um, you know, and it's things like that even, but also even to the point of just somebody honking and waving, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you're out there and you're riding along and all of a sudden some random truck goes by and they're like, go tour dividers, you know, and it's just like, wow, you know, it really re- it like refreshes you and it renews your, um, just your joy in the human spirit, you know, so cool. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm I'm wondering if I uh I should bring some equipment if I have space, like bring my recording equipment and then maybe yeah. try to record some of the interactions as I'm going down. Um yeah, I'm really I'm really looking forward to it. So you did it last year as well? I did. Yeah, I I I've started the race 3 times and I finished it twice. So, yeah, I finished it last year as well. Awesome. And did you beat your your fastest known time? Did you, I did. <laughs> I finished <laughs> Thank goodness. I finished in 27 days. So oh, I was pretty, you, I was, you said the last one was 34 days, right? Well, that was the first one. So yeah. 16 was 34 days. Yeah. And then 27 days and 19 last year. So. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm kind of shooting for 21. I don't know if that's being a bit too uh, rambunctious. I'm not sure. Um, I have no idea. I have no idea what to expect. I, I feel like uh, I feel like a lot of it is is mental. I think for me, it's. I think it's different for everybody. But uh, 21 would be awesome. It would be. Yeah, it would be. It's, you know, it's all personal challenge. And then I think doing, I'm doing this race on Saturday, single speed. And, and then I've kind of been thinking, it's like, oh, I wonder if I should. Try I to... can, you, can you hear me okay, Steve? I can hear you. Yeah. Are you good? Okay. Okay. You're just freezing up a little bit on your oh, end. I? We yeah. good? Um, so I kind of thought I was actually talking to Tyler Hamilton the other day or a few weeks back and I was saying, Oh, maybe single speed. He goes, no, nah, you should probably do it on gears first. <laughs> <laughs> maybe do it on gears first and then try it single speed your next time around. But what, what draws you back? Like that's three times. That's the logistics of that are, are like, I, you know, logistics of getting, getting to the start for me are easy peasy, right? Um, getting home is another, a whole other thing. Leaving the family is a whole other thing. That's logistically difficult as well. But how do you make it work like year after year? Um, and then what draws you back year after year? Yeah. You know, it's funny because both times that I've finished, you know, Jeff, Jeffrey Sharp, you know, he can, he gives like riders, um, a ride from the finish mm. line to his hostel, you know, or his bike place. And then, uh, you know, for a fee and then takes him to the airport. And both times he was like, so are you coming back? And I'm like, and I, <laughs> I sincerely meant it when I said, I am never, <laughs> I don't even want to ride my bike, you know, like he, and this last time I saw him, he's like, so Bon, you coming back? And I was like, Jeffrey, 
I will never see you again. He's like, okay, we'll see you next we'll year. See you next you year. Know? <laughs> it literally was his response. But um, but so strange because you know you really mean that. Like I really meant that. You know, and I, I know a few other riders. Like there was a guy from Europe, and he was like, he was before we even left the finish line practically. Where I think I saw him at Jeffrey's place. He was like, you know, I can't wait to come back. And I was like, are you crazy? But um, yeah, always within three days. For some reason, I am just in love with it again you know it's like at the it's almost like at the finish line you have a big fight and you break up but then three days later you make up and you're like I, I love you and I want to be with you you know I just love I just love everything about the race you know from obviously I've mentioned the beauty of it you know and how just being immersed in in that and just like living and breathing in and being you know like out you know, below a canopy of stars and realizing you know how tiny mm. we are and how you know that uh can affect your perspective. It can refresh your perspective on life. You know, our problems might seem so huge, but you get out there, you know, in the, in the middle of nowhere uh, and you see that, you know, the, the Big Dipper and the Milky Way and you think, you know what, my problems are so small, you know, it's really great. But, um, uh, I can't remember where we were. That's okay. Yeah. So basically you were asking me, you know, why I go back. Yeah. Right. And um, I was saying that, you know, it's not, you know, it's not just, you know, being uh, emerged or immersed in all that beauty, but, you know, it's, it's a lot about just being able to have the opportunity to appreciate it, Mm. you know, just to be able to stare uh, nature in the face, you know, that's just so amazing. We don't get that opportunity. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in life and to not take the time out to really to really just separate yourself from all the, you know, the ruckus going on and all the noise around us, you know, and put away all those devices and just stare nature in the face. And I just love, I love to do that, you know? And then of course it's the camaraderie, Mm -hmm. you know, there's veterans out there, you know, that I've been friends with forever, you know, Bobby and Marty, of course. And, you know, and then there's like, you know, people that you hope to see, you know, that you'll only see at the start, like Josh, you know, you're, you're only going to see him at the start, <laughs> never yeah. gonna see him again. <laughs> you know, but, um, and then I get excited for the newbies, you know, I can't wait to see them and meet them and, and, you know, see how excited they are, you know, cause that's, that's so cool, you know, to be a part of that, you know, so it's like, for me, it's like, now it's like a family reunion, you know, plus being in nature and, and doing what I love. I mean, heck, we're riding bikes, you know, Yeah. how great is that? Right. And it must make it a lot easier too, going back, uh, you know, every year. And then, like you said, it's, it's the camaraderie and the family and it's just like a big family reunion and you're like, Hey everybody, let's go ride bikes. And it's just, it becomes easier. I think, I, I think the, the unknown must be really tough, uh, you know, to, to start right away. Uh, sorry. When you do your first run at it and it's just the unknown, right. It must be pretty hard. But then once you know, and then you're, you're more familiar with the, the route and you know where you're going and you know, the, the resupplies are coming up and you get into that rhythm probably a lot easier. Maybe so, you know, what was really cool was that uh, the difference between 16 and 19 was that because my pace was faster in 19, I was uh, going through areas in 16 in the, in the daylight and then wow. I, but I went through them in the dark. So it was like right. totally different race, yeah. like it literally was a lot. So that was kind of cool. Like I, I remember saying, is this what this looked like? I had no <laughs> idea. Like, wow, this is beautiful. You know, but um, I also think that you know, for the rookies, like part of the, that unknown is part of the greatness of the tour divide, having never seen this before. It's all brand new, you know, 
um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's definitely plus size to both, you know, it was nice to know, you know, gosh, I know this area, you know, I know that there's a resupply, you know, but then you have like, oh my gosh, I know this climb that's coming. Oh, it's yeah. so hot. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to kick my butt, you know, but, uh, that's, it's all good. It's all good. Um, what was your, what was your rhythm like? It's like, were you, um, riding through the night or were you like picking a certain time in the night to stop and sleep or what was your flow? Yeah. So for me, because I am slower, you know, I, uh, just ride as long as I physically can ride. Uh, and I actually am an insomniac. I'm like, literally I hardly ever sleep. Yeah. Um, not my choice. It's just my body does that a lot. So out on the race course, I don't even have to set an alarm. I'm going to wake up at 4:20, no matter what time I went to sleep. Even if I go to sleep at three, which actually happened, it woke up at 4 20 time to go, you know? Yeah. And it was nice too, because, uh, you know, how Russell and I were kind of like, you know, toggling back and forth. So if he went by, I knew I was running late, like it's oh. time to go, <laughs> you know, but, um, but yeah, my, so I just ride as long as I physically can and try to make up that distance while others are, are already resting. So I feel the same way. I, I sleep like crap. I, I, right. I, I generally, I can't get comfortable. I can't, especially after, um, you know, you're, you're riding all day. Say you do a 20 or 24 hour day and just, yeah. just to shut the engine down. It's so hard to, to I just, know. and then your brain is like thinking about tomorrow or whatever. So oftentimes, yeah, I just lay down for, for two hours or four hours and, and get up the next day. And there's kind of that, um, I haven't decided what I'm going to do this year for this route. So last year, this route took me like, like about two and a half days for like five twenty, five thirty, and then um but i only slept like five hours and this year i'm thinking maybe i should just dial it back a little bit and maybe just enjoy it a bit more and maybe when it gets dark you know go to sleep get up at four in the morning like go to sleep at 11 or midnight and then you know really focus more on on recovery before the next yeah. day because uh you know, cause there's that, it's not really debatable. Sleep is, is the most important thing we do as human beings. And it, it's that like, well, you know, to win the race, you need to ride through the night. Not that I'm ever going to win one, but you know, um, you know, to, to get ahead, you need to ride through the night. You need to ride the, like be a Sofian Saili and, and ride for friggin' 70 hours before you sleep or whatever. And, uh, some people genetically have are predisposed to be able to do that. I think probably just like you as a, as an insomniac, right. You're just kind of used to doing it. Super helpful. But yeah, like, um, like to, to stop maybe and just to, just to grab five hours of Z's if you can and make that almost put that as part of your work. Like, yeah. work all day, schedule five hours here and then get up and work some more and then five hours again. And yeah, yeah I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. Yeah. You know, you know, there's a, this guy, Eric Morton, he was racing also in 19 and he decided to, do, to, uh, to, to utilize that type of a schedule where he would purposely make sure that he got eight hours of sleep a night through eight. the tour divide. Wow. Eight. Yeah. And he was, every time I saw him, like, he was like, I'm feeling great. You know, and here I am just like, just sagging, you know, yeah. but, um, then, you know, he could really, really sleep, you know, I'll never forget it. I caught up to him like early morning and he was outside enjoying a cup of coffee <laughs> in the middle of the morning. He's like, how's it going? You know, and I'm like, how's it going? It's <laughs> no time for coffee. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Right. But, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, it, 
you know, different things work for different people and one year might be different than the next year. You just never know, you know, so you kind of have to go out there with uh, the expectation of no expectation so that you can adjust to whatever is presented to you that time around. So I can't wait. I can't wait. I hope I can, I can pull it off and, and I, you know, I getting the time off. Won't, I, I don't think it'll be that big of an issue, but um, Good. yeah, just the time away from the family, I think is the big, the big thing. Um, what's your biggest tip for a newbie? Oh my gosh. <sighs> you know, never forget why, why you're out there now, you know, and a lot of us say we want to, you know, why, we want to go ride because we get to go ride our bike, you know? So when you're out there suffering, just remind yourself, I get to ride mm. my bike, you know, and don't forget that and whatever you do, you know, don't give up because even though like right now at that moment you feel like, man, this is the last thing I want to do and I'm never going to regret quitting. You're going to regret quitting. Yeah. You're going to wish, you know, that you could rewrite that story. And, you know, when you're out there, that's your chance to write mm. the story that you want to write and finish the story the way you want to finish it. So don't lose sight of that. That's really uh, insightful actually to, to put that uh, story writing perspective around it because it's like, I, I scratched on my very first one and I vowed I would never scratch again. I'm just going to keep, it doesn't matter what's going, I've, I've got to be like broken, completely broken to quit. <laughs> right. Like, because you, you, um, like I scratched before I slept. Right. And, yeah. uh, when I woke up the next day, I was like, mm, you know, I felt pretty good. Maybe all I needed was rest and a large pizza. That's all I needed. Right. Is to exactly. eat and put my feet up for a second. And, uh, and then, you know, while we were traveling back from that ride, I remember feeling really regretful and, and kind of sad. It's just like, you know, and you know, in, in a way I I told all these people what I was doing and they got all worked up and they're like, Oh, that's great. You're going to go do that. It's like, yeah, I didn't do it. I scratched (laughs) and, you know, and I, the only reason I scratched was because of this was because of what was in my skull, right? There was no other reason I wasn't, I was hurting a little bit, but everybody hurts. Right. Um, I could still get on a bike and pedal it. Like it was completely mental. So I, I kind of, I like that. I like that about writing your own story. Cause like, what, what am I going to tell my kids when I get home? Daddy, daddy quit. I can't, I don't want to tell them that. I want to say that. Yeah. Daddy didn't quit. He took longer than he wanted, but you know, he, yeah. you know, I got there and my boy always asks, he's like, so what do the winners get daddy? And I just look <laughs> at him. I went, nothing, buddy, nothing. And he's like, kind of like he's seven. Right. So he's what? just like, Hmm. It's not about that, Jasper. It's not about me winning because I know I'm not going to win. He goes, yeah, but you're the best rider ever. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm an awesome rider. I do okay. I've been riding bikes more than half my life, but I'm not um, a Sofiane or a Josh or a, you know, I'm, I could maybe, I could be maybe, but that's not really my end game, right? My end game is, is to push my limits as hard as I can and yes. uh, get to the end and, get the hugs from the people, the, the random strangers that will be waiting for you. Right. That are cheering yeah. you on. So it's, it's uh, yeah, there's no prizes, man. There's nothing. You don't get anything. Like when I finished the one last year, it was an ITT and I finished at whatever, 1230 by a grocery store. And I was like, there's no one around. It's in the middle of the night and there's no traffic. I mean, my town's three thirty five hundred people. There's no one around. And I was just like, yeah. 
And I remember coming into the flats right before the last little climb to the finish. And I was screaming. I was like, yeah, I was so pumped because um, it was over. One, it was over. And then two, I, I finished it unscathed, right? And yeah. um, and I was so pumped. And I got there and I was just like, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to go home. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, the great rewards are the ones that we carry inside of us, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, got, I've got received trophies. I'm sure you have too, you know, for 20 years ago, even when we were kids. I don't have those trophies anymore. I don't even know those people anymore. I mean, yeah. you know, 30, 40 years ago, whatever. But the rewards I have from finishing the Tour Divide or giving it my best, like in 17, the only, only reason why I scratched was I had actually fractured my hand. Right. And I just couldn't go on. It was too painful, and the doctor wouldn't inject me. Suck you know? it up. Suck <laughs> it up, Bonnie. Come on, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but yeah, I still carry those rewards yeah, in my heart. I gave it my best and I pushed through, you know. So, you know, decide right now, what are you willing to push through? Ask yourself that. Are you willing to push through pain, like, in your legs or in your knees or in your back or, you know, or what? It Only you can decide. But decide, right? Decide right now. Before you go. That's right. Yeah. Um. As a woman who's experienced on this track, um, yeah. what would you tell other women who are on the fence about um, doing this kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, I, I get I get those questions, private messages a lot, you know, and so I ask them back, you know, let, let's break it down. What is exactly your concern? And so we pinpoint that, and it, and it almost always comes down to the same thing. I'm afraid of getting lost. Okay, well, let's go over your maps and let's go to that e-trex and let's, you know, have a backup um, device in case you your e-trex fails or you or you lose it. You know, I almost lost mine in 16. I was flying down this mountain. I went across this bridge. It came loose, <laughs> bounced across the bridge towards the raging, you know, river, and but it hit the rail and bounced back, and I scooped it up just in time. I just, you know? I just tethered my, I just tethered my e-trex last night. <laughs> Good job, there. yeah. You know, so like think ahead, you know, so that's, that's like one of the main ones, you know, the other one is going to be, you know, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of the bears, you know, I'm afraid, you know, and I'm like, yeah, me too. Right. Cause that's natural. You know, it's okay to be afraid, but when you get out there and you see there's not bears, you know, everywhere that you're not surrounded, you know, your perspective changes. Your, you know, and your confidence grows, you know, courage doesn't mean that you're not afraid, you know, courage doesn't mean that you don't have fear. Courage means that you do something in spite of mm. the only way to get courage is to do the things that you're afraid of. And, you know, and that's uncomfortable. And it's okay to be uncomfortable. And that's what I tell them, you know, there, you know, the, the last one is, you know, I'm afraid of, you know, getting mugged out there or, or whatever. But I'll tell you right now, when you stink as bad as we do, <laughs> think of First of all, that's a good deterrent, right? But second of all, they don't know who's thinking in that tent, if it's a man or a woman. They don't know. Nobody knows, right? But, um, you know, I almost I almost never saw anybody out there, you know? Right. I only had one interaction, and that was in 16, and I was um, in New Mexico in the Navajo Nation territory, and I had a very, very intoxicated um person come up to a native american and you know let me know hey you know you're vulnerable and then i had some guy stalk me in a truck on that section of the road beyond the mcdonald's there you know but that can happen to you anywhere yeah. right yeah just because you're on the tour divide doesn't mean your chances increase you have to keep the perspective mm. 
and remind yourself you are capable you are amazing you are you have ingenuity you have creativity you know how to ride a bike you know how to fix a flat you you can do this you know so but and you know i can deliver that message all day long but the the, the thing that's most important is that they have to deliver the message to themselves because i'm not going to be there to whisper in your ear you can do this or don't forget you know to, to clean your chain it, you know they have to take themselves mentally across that finish line before they start that race. Right. Absolutely. So just to give, yeah. Give encouragement. That's cool that people, that uh, women are reaching out to you. That's good. And that's what I love about the community too, right? It's pretty close knit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have some things to add to that. Actually. Um, I talked to Carrie state the other day and I put that podcast out last week and he said, uh, fear is normal. Fear is healthy. And right. fear is, is how, you know, you're still awake. Like if you're, right. if you're asleep at the wheel and you're not afraid, that means something's not aligned something's correctly. Not right. And yeah. what I'd want to add to that is that, uh, I'm afraid, like I'm scared, like I'm totally scared yeah. of the tour divide. Um, I'm scared uh, of what's going to happen on Saturday. It's big route, like yeah. 500. It's like tons of climbing. It's going to be hot as hell. And, um, yeah, I'm scared, but it's just like, okay, well just better management, you know, just you got to manage your liquids, manage your, your minerals, you know, manage your eating, make sure you eat a lot because, you know, you need to eat to, to keep your body cool. Right. Um, but even I think the women need to know that even the men are afraid and and and, and men who say they're not are kidding themselves. And I'm not speaking for every man because obviously, um, you know, the, the, the guys who go back year after year and ride it over and over and over again, that makes the fear go down. But yeah, man, there's, there, there's a couple times I've been riding through in the middle of the night and just, I mean, there's a reason why I wear headphones a lot, I think, because I don't like hearing what I hear. It's like, I know that bears aren't lurking around waiting behind trees, waiting to drag people in the woods and eat them. That doesn't happen. And, and cats are probably going to be so freaked out by the lights and just like, oh, what's that? And they're gonna, they're not interested. I'm wildlife has, they don't want anything more to do with us than we do with them. So that's what I tell right. people about bears. <clears throat> Obviously, there's exceptions. You know, right. you come across one with cubs, or you come across one that has a kill. You know, in which case, common sense kicks in, and you, you know, just leave. Really, yeah. Like we saw a grizzly on a trip we did, um, whatever, like a month ago. I was the first to kind of arrive in this corner and this big old grizzly. And I was like, Hey, what are you doing? And it just like, Whoa, oh, boom. It took off. Like it doesn't want it. And it doesn't want to be around us. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, that's already good advice. And I, I think to, um, again, like pinpoint the problems, right? Well, what if I get a flat? It's like, okay, well, what if you get a flat? You better learn how to change a flat, right? Go, do right. it, do it in like, Take your bike apart over the winter. Take it up to pieces. Strip it right down to the frame, and exactly. and and build it back up. And then bleed your brakes. You know, like I mean, we're not going to be bleeding your brakes on the trail, but you know, do <laughs> do these do these maintenance tasks. Like, you know, like you said, make sure the chain's clean, lube it up. You know, bolt check every couple days. You know, just stuff that. And and I think once once a person uh, is empowered with those skills, then it takes those those fears away right? Yes. Dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what other concerns do you get? Are those kind of the main ones? Yeah, those, those are the main ones. Um, you know, running out of food or water, mm. you know, I've run out of both, you know? <laughs> so, um, 
and it's kind of an interesting experience, you know. I've gotten so dehydrated out there that I've actually hallucinated, which was exciting. <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, how are you going to handle that, you know? So I try to just talk them through all the things that, you know, could possibly go wrong that they've thought of, maybe they haven't thought of, you know. And, um, you know, and part of the part of the reward is, is um, overcoming risk, mm. right? So you just got to get out there and do it. Yeah. And I think the, um, the thing about the, the food too, is like, it's great diet. (laughs) (laughs) I lost so much weight on the BC Epic man that like, it's only a five day race, but I haven't, this is a problem actually I need to deal with, but I I have a really hard time eating on the bike. Um, not, not the, the physical act of it, but just, I I don't find it palatable. I, I don't find it, um, I just, I don't know. I need to learn how to eat on the bike. So, but yeah. I think because I'm a bit more of a keto guy than, than a carby guy, like, I think that's a great way to go in to a, an endurance race is if you can flip your diet over to, to fats and proteins rather than carbohydrates, you don't have yeah. to carry as much food, you know, <laughs> you, you really don't because, and, and just because the fatty foods are just so much more calorie dense. Right. Yeah. So, so what, can I ask what you plan on carrying then? For this, Curious. I've already bought. Yeah. Uh, so usually I, there's resupply. So, uh, 150 K to the first one, 150 to the next one, hundred to the next one. And then I think, I don't know, like hundreds, no problem, right? Like that's, you can, so I'm going to carry, you know, probably, you know, a pound of uh, almonds. Um, I'm going to bring like, uh, some chorizo sausage sliced up so I can get in there. I don't know if I'm going to bring tortillas or not. Um, I'm kind of a whole foods guy. Like, I don't like the bars. I find them, they're not palatable and they just sit in my gut. And, um, and then I bring, um, hard cheese, like a hard, hard block of cheese. Cause it lasts, it'll last for days in your pack in a Ziploc. So super fatty and also very salty. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm super crampy. So I always try to make sure I'm getting my minerals. I never drink just water. I'm always putting, I'm a noon tab addict. So I'm always using noon tabs caffeinated caffeinated noon tabs in the morning (laughs) and then you know normal during the day and then maybe a bit of caffeine at dinner time just to kind of give you that little uh, through the night kind of thing caffeine and then uh, something that really works for me is I bring you know like a like a vanilla bottle like you know vanilla extract so that's about what 200 mil or 150 to 200 mil of uh, maple syrup really and you're like you're drinking it out yep Sounds weird, huh? So, so when you get the, like, from what I know about, um, carbohydrate, your body can't hold a lot of carbohydrate. Your liver is the, is the, the organ that, that distributes carbo, um, sorry, glycogen to the rest of your body. This is the way I'm to understand it. Muscles, uh, store it and don't share it. So I always found, so with the, and I also bring salt. I bring a small pouch of salt. So again, I'm super crampy. So, um, and maple syrup's full of potassium, right? Which is great for cramps. So yes. when I feel, and it's usually my, my adductors that start, start barking the insides of my thighs because they're yeah. weak, they're weak. Right. And, um, and I've been working on strengthening those, but as soon as I get a cramp, if I just like dip my finger in salt and I put it sublingually under, underneath my tongue there, ah. cramps go away. So, wow. um, cause as you sweat, you lose, you lose all your, your minerals, right? This is just from my very limited experience. So those, those experienced athletes are like, ah, oh, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. 
<laughs> you know, everyone's everyone's experience, everyone's machine is completely different. And people who can go out yes. there and eat Cliff Bars and Lara Bars all day, like, God damn, I hate Lara Bars. They're just yeah. p- pasty. And the other problem with those things, you have to consume so much liquid, right, to get them into a digestible form yeah. in your mouth or in your in your body, right? So yeah, for the cramps, it's salt. And then if I start getting the the glycogen shakes, like you got that kind of like getting low on sugar, literally, I yeah. just take like a tablespoon of maple syrup and swish it around and so damn good. And uh, <laughs> usually a couple of those will, and I'll get the shakes will go away. Wow. So ra- rather than like eating like a handful of candy or, or like a friggin' milkshake or, you know, yeah. I, I like to stay kind of light and just kind of give my body what it's asking for i guess you know cramps minerals shakes sugar you know if i get the 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 jitters or whatever and it seems to work for me i don't know i'm bringing candy this time more for uh uh to overcome palate fatigue because as you know as you're eating like nuts or just nuts right it's just ah and they're just raw almonds like it's not like they're roasted and salted they're just crappy you know not crappy but you know but it's that crunch and the, you know, the fat and the, and the minerals you get and, um, and the meat is again, fat, salt. Um, it works for me. I don't know. That's what I do. And of course that's not to say, and I'm Canadian, so it's not to say when I hit a town and there's a Tim Hortons, I'm not going to go in there and get two extra large (laughs) coffees with triple cream and maybe a few donuts. Like I'll still do that. But, uh, I learned on the first one I scratched on, I hit a resupply and, and uh, I was, I let my, um, I let my head make my decisions like, oh, candy, ice cream, blah, 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 chocolate milk. And before I knew it, I, I basically had a food baby coma. Like I just had the coma <laughs> and uh, you, you would think the amount of calories I ate it because I hit the bike again, they just stayed in my guts and they were actually the most detrimental thing I could have, I could have done. Cause it just slowed me down. And, and, and that's when. Yeah so slow i was walking stuff it's like why am i walking this like i don't understand really? and it was just because yeah. my body was just in um rest and digest because i just gave it all this crap and it's like oh okay we're not physically active anymore i gotta deal with this okay right. so everything just shuts down it starts like you know dealing with this gut full of of processed crappy food you know right. That's my that's my take on it. And actually funny, watching the Ride the Divide movie and there's I can't remember his name, but he was the raw vegan guy. Is it is it Adrian? I think it might have been Adrian. Yeah. Or I can't remember it precisely, but I was just it's like, uh oh, you poor yeah. you poor dude, man. Like I, I think if you're vegan, I, I think you need to switch it up. Maybe just start start eating meat for the no, tour to buy. He's eating a jar of olives, poor guy. Yeah, yeah, which is good too, right? You could drink the fluid, and it's good, uh, good anti cramp right, stuff too, right? The pickle juice thing. Yeah. yeah, good tips, good tips. So, um, what are you doing to get ready for next year? Anything? Or are you just an old pro now? It doesn't really matter now. <laughs> oh my god! <gosh, laughs> the only thing I'm a pro at is injuring myself <laughs> for getting sick. Um, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just hoping, you know, fingers crossed for, um, you know, at the next, you know, 11 months of, uh, being injury free, it would just be nice to just train injury free up to the race, you know? So yeah. And, and just loving, you know, exploring Colorado and yeah. uh, getting to know the team this year and my bike's already loaded. I've been loading with a almost fully loaded bike, um, which has been great. You know, just trying to find 
you know, hills to climb, which is, you know, pretty easy. So. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a good tip too, is, uh, is ride loaded, start riding loaded right. often. Like, uh, it's fun to go for a rip with an unloaded bike. It's so crazy. It's like, Whoa, this is so <laughs> nimble and bananas and fast. You kill yourself like out of control. Cause like, you turn so easy and you fly yeah. down things so fast. You're just like, Holy smokes. You know? And I think too, that it, uh, th- that's exacerbated when you ride with 20 extra pounds all the time, yeah. you know, like, uh, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll become, I think you'll become fitter. I think if you ride loaded more, bring more than you need all yes, the time, sure. like you don't have to bring your front roll or your, or your saddlebag, but take your frame exactly. bag. And, and you know, if you're going for a two or three hour ride, yeah, bring a bunch of stuff. But, no, why wouldn't you? You yeah, know, yeah. right now, like I don't have my uh, my seat bag on right now, you know, because I'm just going through some other some of my gear and trying to figure out if I want to change some stuff up. But yes, but like yesterday, I rode, you know, with my tent, and my sleeping bag, my frame has all the tools in it, you know, and I've got all my water on the front fork, you know, and things like that. Um, but yeah, and then once in a while, I'll just take everything off and then just go have fun, you know, just like totally just ride free, you know, like you're saying. So, and then I look forward to winter too, cause I love fat biking. So can't is, wait. Is there a good scene in Colorado? I'm sure there's a great fat biking there's scene There's not there. a huge, not, not as big as, uh, you might think. Um, cause Minnesota is uh, a yeah, hotbed, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I've got my fat bike obviously with me. So I'm excited, you know, I'm part of a fat bike group and I can't wait to ride those trails. Man, it's going to be awesome. I tell everyone to ride fat bikes. It, it's, there's nothing like going into spring after riding a fat bike all winter and getting on your quote unquote skinny tires <laughs> and right. uh, just like, man, this is super easy. Like I think that, that's the great, yeah, it's a great thing about fat biking is it's, uh, I, you know, not only is it, is just hard pushing the bike around, but you know, you're going through all this terrain and I think you're also acclimatizing your body to, um, to stress, you know, like cold stress. And, uh, I think you learn how to manage your moisture a bit better, you know? Um, have you ever thought about doing a winter ultra? I had done a winter ultra. What did you do? Yeah. So I did the, uh, Tuscobia 160. I wouldn't, I don't remember the years. Like, Oh yeah, that was the year I did the tour divide. I actually got frostbite. That's right. I did that in 2016. So 160 miles uh, in Wisconsin, which was, it was a really great race. Um, And then I, I I had tried the Arrowhead 135, but I was totally new, just made every rookie mistake you can possibly think of, you know, and just like bailed at the, after like the first checkpoint or something crazy. But, um, but yeah, I've done a couple of shorter, you know, uh, winter races, but yeah, Tuscobia 160 was my longest one. Awesome. I really want to do a winter ultra. I'm actually there to talk about fear. I'm afraid of doing a winter ultra for sure. And I, th- I think going back to moisture management and yeah. um, like just really, really managing your, your, your perspiration, right. It's like yeah. y- you get wet and you're screwed, right? Like, right. Um, and I'm afraid that, you know, I'm afraid of that too. You know, it's a healthy fear. Like my friend Rachel and her husband, they were just visiting here in Colorado and I, and I, you know, shared that with her. I'm like, how do you, are you afraid? You know, you, how do you, you know? And she was like, yeah, it's experience. And, you know, she's done like the Arrowhead 135 multiple times. You know, I think she wants to do yeah, the Iditarod, you know, oh, and a couple of my friends. Do it. It. Yeah. I know, but I'm like, I'd be so afraid, you yeah. know, it's like, it could be negative 50 out there. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> it is bananas. I think it's, that's, it's the gear too. It's like, uh, I always complain. I don't have any money and I can't, like, I really want to get, if I, if I did a winter ultra, I would have to have, I can't skimp 
like you couldn't skimp on stuff, yeah. right? Like you need to have like a really good, like next to skin, you know, insulating layers, you know, puffies. Like you'd have to have all that stuff dialed before you sure. do something like that. I don't know. I thought about it. I, I I'd like to do maybe next year. I'd like to do um, like a a Maybach forty uh, gravel ride. Just uh, there's kind of a loop I know that that's like about a hundred k, and I would. I would kind of say, oh, you do one, two or three laps depending on, on your thing. And then, yeah, that could even be a winter ultra. Like there's so much gravel around here. Um, yeah, it'd be fun. I I have no idea how to organize an event though. I've never done it before. Well, there you go. Something to shoot for. And I'm afraid of doing that. Right. So it's, it's not just the athletic pursuits, it's life pursuits. Like just, yeah, fear, man. You got to face your fears. Otherwise you're not going to grow. So. Exactly. Um, I appreciate you talking to me today. Thank you, man. It's been fun. Yeah. I appreciate it. I'm sorry about all the interruptions. Now I'm thinking that it was, might've been me the whole time. I'm not sure. They were doing, <laughs> no doing maintenance here on the cable infrastructure or something like that. But, um, I'm sure anyone who listens to this, they're going to know how to find you, but if people want to reach <laughs> out to you, uh, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. Either Facebook, you know, or Instagram, you know, or email is fine too. So what's your tag yeah. on those? Obviously easy on it on Facebook, but uh what's your tag on uh Instagram? Yeah, loves to mount loves to mountain bike. So it's loves underscore two underscore uh mountain bike. So MTV. So yeah. so yeah, if people are looking for inspiration and wanna see Bonnie smiling all the time, <laughs> check out her social networking feed and uh it's a great feed and again i appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and um i hope we can do it again soon and i yeah, can't sounds good i can't wait to meet you and give you a big old hug at uh um, in banff it's gonna be great man awesome yeah. i can't wait yeah thanks so much for having me it's been really fun i really appreciate it i want to thank bonnie again for her time and thank all of you for tuning in i hope you enjoyed the conversation if you want to reach out to me, you can do that. You can send an email to myback40podcast at gmail.com. You can include voice memos, which I love, feedback, and guest suggestions. Um, the easiest way to support the podcast is to give it a rating and a review on the platform you're listening on. Uh, Five-star ratings go a long way to helping me grow the podcast, and I'd really appreciate those, and I love getting the reviews. Uh, reviews have been very positive, and I'm glad that people are resonating with the content that I'm putting out. Uh, with the voice intros, just yeah, send them. And don't forget to send your um, your mailing address because I'll send you some stickers. I am running out of stickers. I need to order some more, and I'm probably going to redesign them maybe. We'll see. Uh, so there'll be a new batch of a new design coming out. And um, for those of you who have supported the podcast already, I really appreciate it. Those of you rocking the MyBack40 t-shirt means that you've donated to the project and I've shipped you one. And um, again, yeah, thanks so much for that. If you want to support the MyBack40 podcast, you can head on over to myback40.org slash support. Have a read. The basics are, if you donate 50 bucks, I'm going to send you a t-shirt and some stickers on me. And um, yeah, I just really appreciate it. Helps me do this. And I love bringing you these conversations. And I hope you're staying tuned. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And um, yeah, so lots of great takeaways from this podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, get out there and ride your bike. Don't let fear be an obstacle. Fear is healthy. It's okay to be afraid. But when you face those fears, you become a better human, I think. And uh, you become, yeah, just more confident and more like you, I guess. I don't know what I'm trying to say. 
But um, I know that these journeys for me, the uh, bikepacking journeys, even a couple days in, you know, the ego dissolution you feel and the emotions that come up, um, reconciliation of thoughts and ideas when uh, that happened, when, when you have nothing else really to think about but moving forward, um, listening to your body. Um, it's just a, it's an interesting way to get back to kind of, you know, I think the, where we evolved from, really. And it's just like life can be really complicated. There's a lot of shit going on in our lives. And I think to get away for a couple days alone is uh, it's invaluable to get out there. Uh, you learn a lot about yourself. Um, you learn a lot about the people who are around you. You learn who loves you. And uh, I think you can learn to feel a lot of gratitude for the things that you have. Because it seems like we're always searching for more. And uh, when all we have to do is just take a breath, look around and see what we have. We have family, we have friends, we have community. And uh, I'm really glad that you're part of mine. I'm really glad you're part of the MyBack40 community. So get out there, ride your bikes, keep the rubber side down. <laughs>